Well, we are glad you're here. Uh, not only uh, those of you who are sitting in front of me, but those who are joining us on Facebook Live, we're glad that you're a part of Living Spring. This morning, uh, oh, one quick thing, because uh, Jean Vier did a great job of announcing this. However, uh, tomorrow, so what we understand that some of you and some of you who are watching on Facebook Live don't live in the awesome city of Garden Grove. You live in a lame city uh, that doesn't have fireworks. It doesn't allow fireworks. So the reason we're having this hour long where you can just come and just light stuff on fire is to bring your family together. Okay? Because if you don't have fireworks uh, in your, on the 4th of July, you're just a bad parent. Okay? So... <laughs> I just wanted to point that out, okay? So uh, go, go to the fireworks booth, buy them there, and if, you don't, if you're running low on cash and you can only spend like three or $400, we totally understand. <laughs> but you buy them down there, you take a few blocks up here, and you just, just start lighting stuff on fire. And if you're dating someone, like guys, if you're dating someone and you, you, you start lighting stuff on fire, chicks dig it, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> At least my, mine does. Um, <laughs> So, so, there we go. Is that true? I know it is. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll be done in a second. All right. So, we, we are in a series called uh, Awesome Stories of Jesus. And like I said last week, really, it's just four stories I love about Jesus, but we didn't want to name it uh, Four Stories John Really Likes. And so, we named it Awesome stories of Jesus. And last uh, week, what we talked about was the man born blind. And we made the, the observation and the statement that you don't have to be able to explain Jesus in order to experience Jesus. And some of us have had this happen in our lives a lot, where we just know that God has done something in our lives, and we can't explain it. And we talked about the idea that this blind man was comfortable with three words that I think we should all be comfortable with. I don't know. Because there's going to be some things in the Bible. There's going to be things in your spiritual life. There's going to be things that you encounter with God that you just can't really explain. And so we, we learned uh, last week that uh, we don't have to be able to explain Jesus in order to experience Jesus. This week, we're going to look at a very, very famous story in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's so famous that when I read the first verse, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know that one. And then you're going to be tempted to tune out which is why we'll light firecrackers at that point, because it's going to 4th of July weekend. Um, but this story is so famous, but it gives so much insight into not only who Jesus is in the flesh, but who God is. And so I'll give a little bit of background. Um, there's a slide up for those of you online. You can't see it, but it's a, imagine an awesome slide of Israel. Uh, anyway, uh, what happened was just a few verses before, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he angered the Pharisees uh, and, and the Sadducees, and so they picked up rocks, and they were going to stone him, okay, him and, and, and the disciples. And Jesus is like, are you, are you going to throw rocks at me? Are you going to stone me because I did a miracle? And they said, no, it's because you blasphemed. They were very upset. And so Jesus, it says they went to seize him, but he escapes. I don't even know how he did that, but it must have been awesome. Uh, and so he takes off, and he's about a day's journey across the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptized, you know, baptizing back then. So uh, you can kind of see that map up there. Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he takes up, and that, that's where he was kind of camped out. On the run, if you will. Okay, here's, we, we pick up in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then John talks about who Martha is. If you were reading this for the first time, you would have been familiar with the story of Martha, which I think is pretty cool. It says, this Mary, I mean the story of Mary, this Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now get this, imagine if that was your title, the one Jesus loved. Like, like they send word and Jesus knows who this guy is. He was very close to this family. He was very close to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And so they only have to say the one you love is sick and Jesus knows exactly who it is. That's how close they were. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, what we're going to see as we move along is that oftentimes we have these events in our lives. We're going to be calling them just dead spots because it's a story about a guy who dies. (laughs) So it just makes it easier. But these dead spots in our lives. And so for for you, it might be just a, a, a shame in your past. There's just an event that just is dark and shameful and dead. For you, it might be not even in your own life, but the life of a loved one. You might have a son or a daughter that's strayed away, that are making poor choices. And so that every time you think of them, what should be joyful thoughts, what should be thoughts about, wow, I'm, I'm so excited for them, is just this dark, painful place. It might be a sickness that you have or someone in, in your family has. It just, just kind of brings deadness to you. It might be an addiction that you have or a loved one has, and it just feels like you can't get out of that, this dead spot. And so Jesus is saying that these, this sickness will be fine. And what he's doing, because we know that actually Lazarus does die, so you have to ask yourself, did Jesus just lie? Because here's what Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, and yet it does end in death. But what we'll see through this whole story is that Jesus has two um, kingdoms that he's operating in. He's operating in the kingdom of the world, and he's operating in the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, he said to his disciples, this world is not my kingdom. I've come to usher in a different kind of kingdom, one where your heavenly father will control and will rule. Because remember, it was, the world was not supposed to be broken. It was supposed to be whole. It was supposed to be thriving. It was supposed to be no sin and no death. And so this is what Jesus confronts. And so basically what he's saying is God's kingdom is going to overcome this situation. So he goes on. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what would you do if you heard somebody was sick and you loved them very much? You'd leave and you'd go, go to them, right? Or you'd make a phone call or you'd send them a text or you do something immediately like my goodness I've got to do something and so it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus now the reason John puts this down is because this very next sentence isn't going to make any sense at all he loved them so when he heard Lazarus was sick he called an ambulance no he didn't he stayed where he was two more days he hears Lazarus is sick and he stays where he was two more days have you ever had God not operate on your timetable, it is so frustrating. (laughs) You have something you need him to do right away. You know he can fix it. You know he can heal it. You know he can come in. You know he could, 
you know, hit your husband on the head and wake him up. You know he can do all these different things. And, and he sits and he waits. Why in the world would Jesus wait two more days when he knows the person he loves is sick? Why wouldn't Jesus just take away your thing? Why do you even have a dark place? Why did, you, why did he even let you do that in your past? Why didn't he just bust through the door and say, stop, or whatever? I mean, wh- why is that? Well, he goes on, he says this. Uh, he stayed there two more days, and then he said uh, to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So he, now, he, now he goes two more days later. But Rabbi, they said, remember when they were throwing rocks at you back there? I don't think this is a great place to go. But Rabbi said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Now, this is what Jesus says. It's incredible. Because what he's trying to get them to understand is the way you see situations now, as real as they may be, and as raw as they may be, and as dark and as dead as they may be, you have a heavenly father that loves you, that will see you through that. Maybe not even heal it, but see you through it. Watch what he says. He, he gives this really cryptic language. And if I were the disciples, it would be very frustrating. He says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? They're like, uh-huh, there is. That's true, Jesus. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. You can imagine the disciples are like, right. <laughs> Cuckoo. I think he's gone crazy. I think he got hit by one of the rocks when we were back in Jerusalem. Like, this makes no sense. And this is oftentimes what happens when we look at our dead spots, when we look at these places that we feel like God couldn't touch or couldn't heal or whatever, it's, it's almost nonsense to us to think in terms of this other kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of power. We can't see how in the world God would use this for his glory or to draw us closer to him. And what Jesus is saying is, look, there's only a certain amount of time to take advantage of an opportunity. And I'm here to tell you that your dead place, my dead place, maybe a son or a a wayward daughter or whatever, God is there to bring light into that darkness. He'd already talked about being the light in chapter 5 and chapter 8, and now he's talking about, I'm only here for a little while longer, and then I'm gone. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, oh, good. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. So we don't have to go over there and have rocks thrown at us. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he had meant natural sleep. You know why? Because Jesus said sleep. That's why they thought it was that. So they told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Now, can you imagine if you're the disciples and you're hearing this for the first time? Lazarus is dead. And, you're, and they're like, well, you just said he was asleep. And he's like, nope, he's dead. I'm, and I'm glad I wasn't there. They'd be like, I thought you loved him. Like that is the coldest thing you could say about anybody, right? They die and you're like, well, I'm glad I wasn't there, you know, <laughs> right? Now, imagine that. Okay, so they're thinking, okay, Jesus is talking nonsense, and now he hates Lazarus. Like, what's going on? So he says, uh, why? So that you may believe. He's beginning to string them along, but let us go to him. And then this is one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. Then Thomas, 
also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. We're dead. It's over. Let's all just pack it up. Okay. I have crazy Jesus talking gibberish, and now he doesn't even love Lazarus, and we're going to have rocks thrown at us. Okay, fine. Now, I was reading a commentary on this, and it was really funny, just the way, like, a scholar reads the Bible, and the way I read the Bible, because that's how I read the Bible. Like, oh, yeah, bye, okay, we're done. I I read it like if I were there. The scholar was like, look at the courage that Thomas has, that he's going, willing to die for Jesus, and we can learn. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't. (laughs) So, I know that guy's got his PhD and everything, but I just, uh, he he doesn't want to be, have rocks thrown at him. Um, Okay, so, here, so let's get back to the story now. Here, here, here we go. So Jesus is a day away, okay? And he waits two days, and so he needs a day to come back. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, if you're reading this as um, somebody who would have read this text for the first time, uh, you would have known from about 200 AD, the burial practice was this. They, they would keep you would have access to the body for three days because they believed that the soul would stay in the vicinity of the body just in case the person wasn't really dead and they like woke up or they came to, the soul could re-enter the body. That's what they, I'm not telling, I'm not teaching right now. I'm telling you what they believed, okay? You're like, my pastor said my soul stays around my body for three days waiting to jump back in. And they're like, wow, you're, Okay, so, but this is what they believed. And so what they would do is they'd put somebody in a tomb with this giant circular rock. And so they'd roll the rock back, they'd put him in there, and three days later they'd roll it back to, just to make sure that they hadn't uh, become alive. And then once that's done, the body begins to decay, and they close it back up. And when they close it back up, they leave him in there for a year to wait for the body to decompose. Then they take the bones out and they put them in a limestone box, just so you know. That's what they did. So it's really, really important to the reader here, and it's important that John makes the point that it's been four days. He gone, okay? He's, he's not coming back. That, that's it. And so he's been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. brother. So I want you to understand what's happening um, a, a different than Western culture, we have a, we'll have everyone come to a funeral and everyone will pay their last respects and there'll be a, a, um, you know, a thing. Sometimes you'll go to the graveside or whatever and then it's, then it's over. This went on for seven days and everybody was involved. If you had anything to do with the family, you were involved. And there would be loud wailing and there would be musicians and they'd be making noise as well to just kind of, just to mourn this death. Seven days of this. And so many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. And then Martha says something that I think, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all said at one, part, uh, one uh, time in our life or another. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had done something, if only you had just worked. We, I remember standing with you while lines of people were being healed. When you would touch the eyes of the blind man and you healed the lame and you fed people. And we were there. We were around there. We know if you had just been here. But now it's been four days, so it might be impossible. And then she adds this one little statement. But I know that even now, 
Even after these four days, God will give you whatever you ask. Have you ever been in that place with God where you're questioning why? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you show up and I would have avoided this? Why, 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 why? And now I've got this dead spot in my life, this, this missing piece. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And so Martha, having gone to church, says, oh, I, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection in the last day. Like, I, I remember that from Sunday school or whatever. Like, I, I get the theology part of the resurrection. Yes, we all will end up ri- rising at the end and meeting God and all this. And then Jesus makes a statement that I, I just so desperately want you to get this morning. Because you might be looking at this dead spot your history, maybe your present, maybe a loved one, whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, there's nothing that can fix that. There's nothing that can change that. It's too big. If you knew my past, there's no way. The darkness is there. The deadness is there. If you knew my insecurities, if you knew what my family was like, if you knew all these things, there's no way. And Jesus breaks through all of that thought, breaks through Martha's theology of, oh, that can only happen on the last day. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. It's, it's in a person. It's not in a healing. It's not in something just out there. It's Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus takes this whole situation of death and he puts it in perspective. And this is exactly what he wants to do for you and I. We look into these places in our lives, maybe our finances, maybe a relationship, maybe a health issue or whatever, and he wants to say, I am the resurrection and the life, even if it doesn't get fixed you're going to be fine because you're going to be part of a different kingdom than just what you see. And this kingdom that, God, that Jesus talks about can bring peace in the midst of chaos. It can bring joy in the midst of mourning. And so he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she said this, that's a huge statement, by the way. Martha just makes an incredibly huge statement that he would be the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for all this time. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not entered the village yet, so he was still outside of the village waiting to go in. And all the mourners and all that, they were in the village. And so they all follow Mary because they think she's going to the tomb. Uh, They were still waiting in the place where uh, Martha had met. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And so they were just going to, she was going to mourn at the tomb and they were just going to surround her. And this is what they did. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And listen, she says almost word for word exactly what Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine the conversations that Martha and Mary had in the house? You know, when they, like the ones, let's say while he's sick, 
And they start out with like, it's okay, it's okay. He's going to be fine. Jesus would never let Lazarus die. So he'll, it'll be fine. He'll last. When Jesus comes back, Jesus will heal him, and then we'll, be, then we'll be done. And then he's getting sicker and sicker. They send out messengers, and it probably the way the timeline works, right when they sent out those messengers, it was probably not very long when Lazarus was dead because that was, it would take them a day to get to Jesus. Jesus waits two days, and then they, they, they come back, and they would have put him in, the, in that burial grave that same day. And so they're, 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 there's so much hope and so much trust and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is going to make it. And he's going to come back in time. And then Lazarus dies. And then they go through day one. And they think, we're still in the three-day, uh, um, you know, uh, what do you, right of refusal or whatever. What do you buy? A, buy a stove or whatever. You got three days to turn it, to turn it back. Like, we, we're still within those three days. It's, it, it, it'll be okay. He can do this. He can do this. And then we get to day four. And it's just, like, crushing. And that they would probably have been saying together, if he only had been here, if he had only been here. And so she has the same thing. And she says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, if you were to just read that in English, you would think that deeply moved meant he was um, sad. But this particular Greek word is fascinating. It's agitated. It's, it's um, where it's used outside of the Bible is a, a horse that snorts before it goes into battle. It's like a, it's like a, like just agitated, amped, ready to go. This is how Jesus is. He's looking at the deadness of Lazarus, the weeping of the people here, the mourning, how everyone just sees this in, in, a, in a certain way. And he knows he is the resurrection and the life. He, he knows that it never should have been this way in the first place. That sin had broken us and broken the world. And so you can imagine this guy, God in the flesh, who comes down and he sees the situation. He's just like, oh, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. And so uh, that's, how, that's how I, why I believe John used that word. And he's troubled. Okay, so he's agitated and he's troubled. And then Jesus asks a question that he wants to ask every single one of us when it comes to our dark and dead places. Where have you laid them? Like, oh man, Couldn't, don't you wish you could have been there where like Jesus is like, like they, they're mourning and he's just like, where have you laid them? Like, I wonder how he said it if it was just like, where have you laid him? You know, like really, like man, like, like, I got this, you know. I can't. I have such. I can't even speak in a low voice. That's so sad. Okay. Anyway, I'm like, where have you laid him? Okay. Uh, but but like, could you imagine what that was like? Like here he is. He knows he's got all the power of heaven and earth. He created the world. Okay. And Lazarus is dead, and he knows what he's gonna do. Ah, oh, man. This is the question he has for us. Where is the dead spot? He wants you to take him to it. He's not going to just come in and fix it and leave. Where is it? You say, well, it's, 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 my, it's my son. He's just, he's just pl- playing around and all this kind of stuff, and it's just, it's just driving me nuts. And God, I'm just fearful for him. You just took him to where it was. You say, Lord... My, I did things in my 20s that I cannot 
get out of my mind. There, it's sin. I just feel worthless and shameful. And he says, that's, that's it. That's where. Where is it for you? Is there a spot that you keep closed, that you keep back, that you keep hidden because it's dead? Is there a thing you're struggling with that needs to come out into the light? So he asked that question, where is it? Take me to it. Maybe we're afraid to take it to him because it's actually him we're angry with. Because he didn't show up on time. And so now we've been angry at God for all this time and we've shoved it away and we've put all that. And it's time to just go, God, I'm angry at you. He can handle that. He'll go, great. Now we can get to work. Now I can bring resurrection and life into that thing. So he asks, where? And this is the answer he wants from all of us. Come and see. Come, look. Look at my life. These are the issues. These are my issues. These are my broken spots. These are my dead spots. These are the places that cause me anxiety. These are the places that cause me fear. This is the place in my life I don't have a handle on. And it says, Jesus wept. Now, for this, there are two things about this verse. Number one, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you say you can't memorize the Bible, I think you can. Okay? So that, that, that one. Uh, but you, th- you think to yourself, why would Jesus weep? Like, if, if I were at a funeral and I knew I could raise the person from the dead and everyone's crying, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm so sad for you guys. I'd be like, hey, don't Stop. No, don't cry. I'm here. I can raise this guy from the dead. I think, and I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus is weeping for the brokenness. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but there's going to be more death. And, and Oh, did I just say he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? I let the cat out of the bag. Okay, sorry. I, spoiler alert. Okay. But, but guess what? Lazarus ended up dying again, okay? Like he's not walking around in Israel now. There is death. There is brokenness. And as he sees these mourners, and as he sees how the brokenness of the world affects you and I and those around, and as all these things are happening, I think it breaks his heart. I think the dead parts in our life break God's heart because it wasn't supposed to be that way. And so he weeps. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. And so the Jews get it, you know, the Jews see how he loved him is one of the things. The other one said, well, he opened the eyes of the blind. You know, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? I don't know if they whispered that. I would have. I wouldn't have said it out loud with Jesus right there. I would have just said, why didn't he keep him from dying? (laughs) Okay. Once more, Jesus agitated came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. I, I sat uh, yesterday just imagining the author of life standing in front of death. Jesus, with the power of the universe, Jesus, sinless Jesus, wise Jesus, the author of life standing right in front of death. Who you think's going to win? <laughs> There's no match for Jesus. And, he, and here's the thing. Jesus is standing right next to your dead spot, right in front of it. And he would have the same command for you and for I as he did for them. Take away the stone. Give me access. Let me in. 
Let, let me see what's going on. You know, how, you know how we roll away the stone a lot of times? We roll away the stone oftentimes by obedience. We just say, you know what, I'm going to start doing the right thing. And then we're exposed because we've lived a life in disobedience and we're afraid if I'm obedient, what's going to happen? Maybe you're at a workplace and they have you doing some things that you know aren't quite right, and, but you do them anyway. And you say, you know what? And you live in anxiety and fear and all this kind of stuff. And finally you go, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. And you expose that dead part. And the Lord says, I can work with that. Maybe your dead spot is something nobody on the planet knows about. And you're rolling away the stone is to let somebody know that you got a problem. Or you need to confess something. And Jesus says, I can work with that. Maybe your dead spot is something unconfessed to God. And it's hard. These things are hard to bring the deadness out. As a matter of fact, kind of the parallel to this is Martha says, uh, the sister of the, I don't know why John does this, but Martha, the sister of the dead man, we, we know that. He just said it like three verses ago. By this time, there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. The um, King James Version says, he stinketh, which I just think is fantastic, right? He stinketh, you know? That's really cool. Sorry. I mean, but that's it. It's like, Lord, I don't want to expose this part of my life. It stinketh, okay? I, I don't want to obey in this area. Or I don't want to uh, give this part of my life over to you. It's, it's gross. You don't want to see it. You don't want to be a part of it. Just keep it hidden. It's better dead and hidden than it is exposed. It stinketh. And then Jesus has this great, great rebuttal. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you would just trust me with this, I can move. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm standing right outside this dead area, waiting to be let in. Isn't that powerful? That's Jesus. Just standing outside. Just remove the stone. Just get it out of the way. Just roll it away. Give him access. Is there a spot that you have? You're you're giving portions of your life over to him, but there's this one thing that maybe you've never given your life over to him at all. He's the resurrection and the life. He says, if you believe in him, if you give him your life, if you give him control, you'll never die. Now, you'll die. <laughs> That's in this world. But you'll never die in eternity. He's got that. That's his lane. That's what he does. And so he asked that question. And so they took away the stone. Man, that must have been just, I'll bet you could hear a pin drop. I'll bet it, that stone sounded so loud, being this, you know, and they're just, everyone's like, you know, as it creaks in, they're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to see it. What if he really is alive? That would be the creepiest thing in the whole wide world. And so they, 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 they move it. And then Jesus uh, looks up and said, Father, and, and, and this would be a typical posture for that day. If you, were, if you were saying a prayer out loud, you would raise your hands. And so he would, he, it would be like he's in front of this dead guy. The dead, there's nothing you can do. Four days, you can't return it. You own it. There it is. And Jesus, 
The author of life has his arms outstretched and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. He's talking to his heavenly father, but he wants everyone to know that what is about to happen comes from God alone. This resurrection, this restoration, the light into the darkness. And you got Jesus in front of this tomb. God, it must have been awesome. And then he says in a loud voice, this word for loud voice, John uses it two other times in his gospel. He uses it one time when he was trying to explain how loud it was when Jesus came into Jerusalem on, the, on, the, uh, uh, on Palm Sunday. When they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. As they were yelling that, that's, that's how loud it was. Another time Paul, uh, John uses this is when they were saying, crucify him. I just see those two things, and then I see this here, and what Jesus, knowing that he will now be sentenced to death, and the death that he will live, he yells out, Lazarus, come out! He probably even did it louder than that, because he has a deeper voice than me, remember? Um, this authority that he has. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen, like I wonder how he, if he like did like the penguin walk or like what he did. But here's what would have happened. He would have been wrapped in these strips of linen. And so there'd be spices and oils and stuff. They'd, they'd anoint the body. And so as he's walking, there'd be like spices falling out. It was like the walking dead. It, was, it must have been so scary for some people, you know, as they're just watching. They're just, just sh- you'd be in shock. You'd be in shock. And then you'd start thinking if it's like me, like, I wonder what he looks like under there, you know? you know? I don't know. Maybe they didn't think that, but I would. And then I wonder what it was like as he comes out and he's face to face with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm stretching, okay? I'm stre- I'm, I'm, it's not in the Bible. But under Jewish purity laws, you couldn't touch a dead person, Okay? You couldn't touch a leper. You couldn't touch anybody unclean. And so I don't know if Jesus hugged Lazarus. The Bible doesn't say it. I don't know if Jesus touched Lazarus. The Bible doesn't say it. But here's what I believe. Because of those laws, and because he is the author of life, I think he put his arms around him. Just to say, there is nothing that is going to stop this from going down. And so there was probably some people there when they saw that, oh, he touched a dead person, he's unclean, and all this kind of stuff. He conquers all that. Sometimes we think in our dead spots that Jesus is just ashamed of us, and he doesn't want to touch us, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with us. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring in his resurrection and life. And then he says this, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If I were Jesus, I would have had Lazarus on like a three-week speaking tour with me. You know, because like, hey, and by the way, Lazarus, why don't you tell your testimony? Oh, I raised you from the dead? Thank you very much. You can sit down now, right? He lets him go. He lets him go. See, I think there's this, there's this fear that if, God, if we give ourselves to God, we're going to lose who we are. Or we're going to lose this. God is in the business of restoration, making you who you're supposed to be so that you can be free. 
And so he says, let him go. You know what's really cool? As you look in, uh, every time Lazarus is mentioned from here on out, it says Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. You know, that is my story. I am John, who Jesus raised from the dead. It's your story too, if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, remember the last story went, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I live. If you're in that place of deadness, Jesus says, come out. Come to me. We're going to um, take communion together uh, right now. And um, Audrey is going to come up and uh, sing a song called Break Every Chain. And uh, what it says is, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. And here's the opportunity I want to give you this morning. Um, communion is a representation of what God did for us. And so you'll get a, um, a cracker, and that represents Christ's body that was broken for you. And you'll get a little cup of juice, and that represents his blood that was spilt for you. And the reason this happened was to break every chain in your life. And so what we're going to do is we'll have um, ushers go to either side of the uh, stage, and um, when you're ready, if you'd like to participate in communion, you can just come forward as Ajua plays this song. And here's the thing I'd encourage you to do during this time. As you take communion, this might be the first time in your life where you just say, you know what, I accept Christ's payment on the cross for my deadness. And you might want to confess some of that to him. Maybe for the first time this morning, you might want to ask him to lead your life, to, to guide your life, to be Lord of your life. And so at this time, we would take communion. Um, if you're, um, uh, we'd ask you to fill out your connection cards at this time. And if this is a, a day that you would give, uh, we, you'd prepare your offering at this time. And at the end of the service, there's a box in the back and all of those, the connection cards and everything go back there. Maybe this morning would be the first time that you Ask God to take over, to take full control. And just mark on that, yeah, I gave my life to Christ or I rededicated my life. Maybe you've been gone for a while and you want to come back to him. Um, we can use that time for that. And Let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are so thankful that we serve a God that is not only in heaven but also walked on earth understands our struggles, understands our brokenness, understands our dark places, and has the authority and the power to bring restoration, to bring freedom, to bring shalom. And so, Lord, I pray for this morning as we remember your death on the cross, that we would accept this communion together as a representation of your life, death, and resurrection is your payment for our sin. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.